Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro. She's the nice one. And Alan Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice. But together they are the definitive rap. I'm Alan Skorsky with my co-host Bela Seabrow, and welcome to the definitive rap, where we discuss the news items the mainstream media just won't touch. The definitive rap is proud to be the official podcast of vinnews.com. You know, there's an old adage, the truth will set you free. That is, unless the lies told about you are so big, so organized and so well orchestrated that the truth doesn't even matter anymore. The rise of the blood libel movement against Israel has been growing for decades, but now has reached an all-time level of lies meant to delegitimize, destabilize, and eventually dismantle the state of Israel. From the media to academia to the halls of Congress, the slandering of Israel with the most grotesque lies, have led to a record level of physical attacks and harassment of Jews on the streets of New York and other large cities with significant Jewish populations, and even further onto college campuses throughout North America. In the last two weeks, J Street and their allies released a false and very misleading poll suggesting that 25% of American Jews believe that Israel is an apartheid state. During this same period, groups like J Street and other anti-Israel Jewish leftists have come to the defense of of the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs, whom Bela will introduce shortly, issued a paper titled The Apartheid Poll and the Disinformation, Disinformation Discourse, which delves deeper into who, why, and how these lies against Israel have gained so much traction in America to the point of becoming mainstreamed. Bela? lie does not become truth, wrong does not become right, and evil does not become good just because it is accepted even by a majority. For example, we are now in the year 2021. That is a fact. If a majority of people in specific groups were to decide, hey, it's really 1975 and never mind that you think it's 2021, and I don't care what you say to prove your point, It is really 1975. Does that make it the truth? The answer is no. We are in 2021, regardless of who decides to say and believe otherwise. And that is analogous to what we are dealing with here. We are dealing with people trying to make the victim appear as the aggressor. And there are times that who it is expected to be friends with the victim may feel, let's go with the opinion of the popular bully. That said, a survey shows that 25% of U.S. Jewish voters, based on interviews with 800 Jewish voters, agree that Israel is an apartheid state. Here to discuss this inexplicable topic all the way from Israel is Dan Diker, who is a senior, who is a fellow and senior project director at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs, where he heads the program to counter political warfare and BDS. He is editor and co-author of the JCPA's latest volume, Israelophobia and the West. Dan, welcome back again to the Definitive Rap. Dan, 
You have authored numerous books on the global BDS campaign, and you are an expert on the topic of countering terrorism. Please explain to our audience that although we expect anti-Semites to say the worst about Jews, Zionists, and Israel, but when it's our own Jewish people who accuse Israel of genocide, one can say that's anti-Semitic. Would you not say that something is just not right here? Well, Bela uh, and Alan, thank you for having me on the program. This is a very important topic because it generates a lot of um, inherent and intuitive discomfort when we have a discussion within the Jewish family about statements and representations made by Jewish organizations and Jewish groups and individual Jews uh, who are uh, vociferous, outspoken, high profile, and make those representations that under the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, IHRA definition, are blatantly anti-Semitic. And it, it, that combination of Jewish people uttering uh, statements that would be defined as political anti-Semitism uh, is, a very, is very troubling. But unfortunately, that, um, the recent um, uh, poll uh, that was conducted by Jim Gerstein um, you know, and, and associated with um, uh, strong progressive democratic uh, uh, operatives uh, really raises that question that you raised just a minute ago. And that is that if 25% of uh, American Jews as polled hold that Israel is an apartheid state and 22% hold that Israel has committed genocidal acts against the uh, Palestinians, we've got a problem not with Israel, for those people who are interested in facts, but we have a problem with the uh, with those segments of the Jewish population in the United States that would actually uh, submit uh, to that type of disinformation. Um, it, it, is, it is a rank anti-Semitic declaration to say that Israel is an apartheid state, uh, A, because it singles out the nation state of the Jewish people, a, dem- a, a vibrant democratic uh, uh, state, um, and to compare it either to Nazi Germany by implication, uh, by saying it commits acts of genocide, or to, co- to, to compare it somehow uh, through a racial, you know, the, ra- the racializing notion of, former, of the former apartheid South African regime is simply absurd to anybody that's taken a fifth grade course on Israel, uh, you know, and the Middle East, but in front of our very eyes, this uh, this phenomenon is taking place, and it ought concern uh, Jews everywhere. So, Dan, there are so many points that you brought up. One, we have the Jews on the left. You mentioned J Street, who's got a real fixation on Israel. You have people like Peter Beinart, uh, who wrote in his book, The Crisis of Zionism, which I wrote about in my book, Israel Betrayed, where he compares Israel to Nazi Germany. He, he says that uh, while American Jews build Holocaust museums, we haven't learned the lessons of the Holocaust. So that's one enemy. But then we have the Free Palestine Movement, or I call them the Palestinianists, people like Linda Sarsour and the Squad, who keep repeating the same lies over and over again. Uh, it is not an accident or a coincidence that they are using words like apartheid, which is supposed to remind us of South Africa. Uh, genocide, which is supposed to remind us of Rwanda. Ethnic cleansing, which is supposed to remind us of uh, uh, Serbia and, uh, and Bosnia. So these are very, very calculated words that they stay on script. And unfortunately, now it is becoming mainstream in America. And we're not doing anything about it. And this is a much bigger fight that we have ignored for too long because we thought, who's going to believe these crazy lies? 
Well, you know, Alan, where all of these examples that you've just brought up, which are the low-hanging fruit um, in the uh, blood libel discourse that we are witnessing before our very eyes, to say Israel is genocidal or Israel's apartheid for anybody, as we said, who knows anything, we know that that's, you know, it's patently absurd. However, if you just walk it back to the source uh, of that uh, of that type of uh, representation, the concept, the, the the fictitious concept of illegal occupation or occupation, those words, which uh, and the terms uh, which have been completely twisted out of uh, any kind of factual or legal um, context, where remember those that word occupation, the the historical context when people use that with Israel is usually not former the, the former Nazi regime of Germany, uh, former Nazi Germany that, that, that occupied um, you know, much of the European continent. And that is the frame of reference that people have used this term completely incorrectly um, since 1967. And I think that has been the overlooked phenomenon. And I think it's even more dangerous because, uh, because the word occupation um, seems uh, far less dangerous, far less controversial than the lower hanging fruit, the, the, what I call the blood libel language of genocide and apartheid. But in fact, if those people that, that, use apartheid, uh, that use occupation and related to Israel, you know, the occupiers since 1967 have done so in many cases, I think, maliciously, certainly those in the Palestinian uh, leadership that, um, you know, that they have used that type of language, by the way, since the 1920s, when Haj al-Amin al husseini the first Palestinian religious and nationalist leader, uh, you know, said that, you know, Israel was endangering al-Aqsa. This is well before Israel was even founded, uh, that Israel is an occupier of the, of the, um, of the holy sites, the Muslim holy sites in, in Jerusalem. And then fast forward to 1967, um, when, you know, in Hebrew, the word occupier, kovish, means conqueror. It doesn't mean occupation in the, um, you know, in the frame of reference that the, in the, the English word occupation means, but in fact, people are mostly uh, either, either uh, willingly, blindly, or naively, stupidly, um, uh, basically invoking the Nazi occupation of sovereign Europe. And that is not at all the case, um, of course, uh, uh, with Israel, but that, that type of um, illegitimate use of what is a legitimate term of art in international um, legal terminology is really how we devolved into this lower hanging blood libel language discourse that we are. Dan, um, I used to host the Manhattan cable TV show back in the 1980s. And prior to one of the interviews, I watched a documentary of a camp where Palestinian children were trained to be desensitized. And one of the methods that were used was uh, tearing live chickens apart. Dan, anti-Zionism is spread through American college campuses and social media platforms where intelligent and educated people are buying into this disinformation discourse. You talk about a political warfare phenomenon whose historical roots are based on tactics employed by the former Soviet Union, codenamed Infection. Can you tell us about that? Can you, can you tell us about how they use to desensitize people or, or, uh, and, and just in detail about this, this uh, infection? Well, you know, as an introduction to this great case study 
of Soviet disinformation that targeted the United States successfully. Let me just say, Bela, that the insensitivity when we use the word anti-Zionism um, is to what the real problem is, which is really Jew hatred. Because Jew hatred can be individual Jew hatred, meaning hatred against individual Jews, which we are seeing um, very broadly on college, on university campuses across North America. Right. And, it, and, and the, the main culprit, uh, the main organization that's driving a lot of this Jew hatred is an organization called Students for Justice in Palestine, yeah. which was founded and is currently uh, powered by Professor um, Hatem Bazian, who is a mid-level Hamas affiliate whose former organization, American Muslims for Palestine, was uh, closed down by the American by the Department of the Treasury for uh, terrorism financing violations. And he founded this organization in 2002 and then, and then um, powered it up over the coming years. And then in, uh, in the last seven or eight years, um, uh, the National Division of Students of Justice with Palestine was founded. This is an organization that adopts the Hamas line uh, and not the not even the PLO dash Palestinian Authority line. They're too liberal for them, but mm -hmm. they adopt they adopt the Hamas view, which is uh, which is that basically uh, the Jewish state should be uh, destroyed, dismantled. That is also a PLO view, by the way. But their sympathies lie with the Hamas, and they are rank anti-Semites. Um, they they are. We see on the campuses across North America, over 200 campuses where Students for Justice in Palestine are, you know, tearing through all of those uh, uh, campuses and forcing a lot of Jews to hide under their beds, um, that, that with Israel in the center, they are intimidating Jews, assaulting Jews, harassing Jews, uh, and, and creating a very unpleasant um, state of affairs for Jewish students across the United States. So that's not anti-Zionism per se. It's anti-Semitism in the collective sense, as the Jewish nation's only home is the nation state of the Jewish people, so that's Israel. So we really should be talking in terms of Jew hatred, collective Jew hatred, collective anti-Semitism, or as Professor Bernard Lewis of Blessed Memory used to say, when he used to come to Israel for um, five months a year, political anti-Semitism. That's what we are talking about today. And in that sense, Peter Beinhart um, is, is a, uh, an advocate for political anti-Semitism. Uh, and Jeremy uh, Benamy was a former schoolmate of mine at the Collegiate School. While he calls himself pro-Israel, uh, pro-peace, he actually, his actions uh, prove the exact opposite, that he is actually um, uh, supporting the delegitimizing uh, and defamation uh, activities of the Palestinian leadership and he, and he takes and all of his actions are actually very anti-Israel and and with this I'll end the latest example you too may know that in the last 24 hours 90 members of Knesset 9-0 of 120 members of Knesset signed a a, a petition uh, that called on Ben and Jerry's to uh, reverse their discriminatory uh, uh, boycott, and, and therefore Jerry Benamy, by issuing support for the Ben and Jerry's boycott and the delegitimization movement, is essentially colliding with the vast majority of elected Israeli representatives in the Israeli Knesset. Now, either of you can help me understand 
on what basis Jeremy Benamy is pro-Israel, I will give you a lifetime supply of cookies and cream. Okay, so I'll tell you a few things. Um, number one, uh, from from the get-go, when Jeremy Benamy first launched J Street, I said immediately he is an anti-Israel organization. He's not a more liberal version of APAC. And I had a lot of blowback, and I said, no, this is an anti-Israel organization. And in his book, Allies, uh, written by Michael Oren, I think that's the right uh, name of his book, uh, he wrote about how uh, he came across a member of J Street and asked him, why did you join? And his answer was, because I was too uncomfortable with the pro-Israel stance of the previous administration, which was the Bush administration. So J Street was basically came into being under the Obama administration. Now, in your paper... In the, at the same time... Yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I just wanted to, I just wanted to make one comment, and that is that as the former Secretary General of the World Jewish Congress, which is the largest Jewish diplomatic organization in the world, um, over 100, we represented, we represent the official Jewish communities in over 100 countries across six continents, and Ambassador Ronald Lauder, yeah. who has taken a very strong position against the, the, the uh, anti-Semitism in Congress, he just wrote a full-page le- open letter to, uh, uh, to President Biden. Um, you know, on the first day in that role, um, it was made very clear to me that the World Jewish Congress supports the sitting democratically elected government in Israel, whether that is Prime Minister Bennett, Prime Minister Netanyahu, whether it's Prime Minister Olmert, who, Prime Minister Rabin of blessed memory, whoever the Prime Minister is. A Street has taken a, um, a, a, a very different view of their right as a Washington-based recruiting agency for young Jews to join the left flank of the Democratic Party by ignoring um, blind support or unconditional support for the sitting government in Israel. We may notice the extraordinary development where Jeremy Benamy has now collided with the, um, with the unequivocal condemnation of Israel's president, President Herzog, who was the chairman of the Labor Party for many years, and a stalwart of the Labor Party who called Ben and Jerry's actions the new economic terrorism of our foreign minister, um, uh, Mr. Lapid, who comes from the center-left party. So Jeremy ben who claimed that he was really just anti-Netanyahu, has now proved his true colors. He really is anti-Israel because he does not respect the democratic choice of the vast majority of Israelis, whom today have voted in an Arab faction for the first time called the um, the, uh, the uh, Arab uh, list okay. under uh, Dr. Mansour Abbas, as well as um, the Labor Party and Merit and um, Yeshati, there is a future, as well as uh, two right-wing parties. Um, so this is the broadest, most pluralistic uh, uh, government in almost three decades. And still, Jeremy Benamy is butting heads with the elected representatives of the Israeli parliament, of the elected representatives of the Israeli government. So he really has to um, stand up and come clean and answer the question, how can you prove that you are not completely anti-Israel, um, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Dan, oh, sorry. Dan, how can we use the method of disinformation to counteract the disinformation prevalent amongst those who buy into the demonization of Israel. In other words, what can be done to turn it around the other way? 
So Bela, let me let me just go by because I sort of I went off on this, um, you know, let's out Jeremy Benamy for a few minutes. Let me just go back to your original question before the what can be done as to what is wrong. And that and you brought up the great um, example that I wrote about together with Dr. Yechiel Leiter in our recent piece on um, on the what we call the apartheid pole and um, the disinformation discourse, which any of your um, of your viewers can find at jcpa.org. Um, this has really made the rounds. It apparently has hit a chord and has been um, redistributed and republished by four or five different papers and, and periodicals in the last week. And what has happened here is, is that we have revealed um, what many people have been thinking about for some years, but haven't either written about or it hasn't really penetrated the mainstream discourse, which is that, you know, there is political criticism, a legitimate political critique of Israel, as there is of any country. Uh, and then there is political anti-Semitism. When people call Israel an apartheid or genocidal or ethnic cleanser or racist country, this is just rank anti-Semitism. This is anti-Semitic name-calling. This is not political critique. Political critique would be to, uh, to strip away any kind of hyperbole, any kind of rhetorical assault, and begin to analyze what it is about Israeli policy that they disagree with. They might disagree with the policy of allowing Jews to, to build housing starts east of the 67 lines. They might, um, they might insist that Israel return the Golan Heights to Iran-backed Syria, uh, or they might insist um, that Israel not counterattack um, against Iran-backed Hamas in the Gaza Strip. But they have to focus um, on a, a non-hyperbolic policy issue that they then should compare and contrast to other places in the world. Just as one example, and then we'll go on to what can be done. If you look at Russia today, and Russia clearly um, uh, penetrated and unilaterally took over Crimea, uh, no one refers to Russia as an apartheid genocidal state. The, uh, the Republic of Turkey, uh, uh, under the neo-Ottoman government of, um, of Mr. Erdogan, uh, unilaterally took over Northern Cyprus, no one, no, no one uh, and, and by the way, and they shut down and imprisoned and missed and, and tortured members of the media and members of the judiciary. And they, uh, uh, they created a trumped up conspiracy charge a few years ago uh, to, uh, in order for Mr. Erdogan to rewin the, to uh, come out victorious again in the election. No one called Turkey a, an apartheid or genocidal state. And then, of course, you have Morocco, which, um, which it still occupies Western Sahara. Nobody called them an apartheid state. So there, you have to have uh, what, what financial people would call comparables. Whenever you analyze any set of numbers or set of political uh, criteria, and with, with, the, with the situation in Israel, people simply don't do that. They simply engage in wholesale rank do hatred name calling, and that is absolutely a non-starter. So that is the uh, that is the type of rhetorical and ideological assault that Israel is facing, and it is nothing short of an ideological assault. It has nothing to do with political criticism. Right, you know, um, Dan. In your paper, you referenced the uh, hijacking of George Floyd. Uh, he was you know, the uh, black gentleman who was uh, arrested by police, and he was very mistreated until uh, one of the policemen actually killed him immediately. Linda Sarsour and her movement uh, created a link between Israel 
and American police. There were murals drawn with George Floyd uh, with a keffiyeh around his neck. And then you had Linda Sarsour and her movement saying that American police are taught by the IDF how to mistreat and abuse blacks in America. Uh, can you uh, talk about, you know, your research into that aspect for your paper? Yeah, well, this is the Linda Sarsour, um, you know, is a, is a pro-jihadist, uh, you know, a Soviet propagandist. Uh, and, and her view is that, you know, Israel uh, is a white uh, it, it, supremacist country, even though the three of us know the majority of Israelis, including my wife and children, come from brown uh, Middle Eastern roots. Uh, so the majority of Israel is a brown country. We're not a white country. But what you pointed to, Alan, is what I call the racialization of the Israel-Palestinian territorial conflict. And the George Floyd um, tragedy, the, the, the tragic killing of Mr. Floyd, um, was used by, uh, with malice of forethought uh, by um, the jihad squad, uh, whether it was uh, Ilan Omar, um, who is a Hamas sympathizer, or uh, Linda Sassor, who is an advocating the problem in Israel, whose only solution, according to Mark Lamont Hill, uh, the, uh, the former um, terminated um, uh, CNN commentator who's a professor somehow, uh, at Temple University is to end Israel's existence. That's the only way to solve a problem um, that has been likened to the racial injustice uh, that was, or the injustice, certainly, uh, police brutality that was um, uh, um, done to Mr. Floyd. Now, uh, what has happened in, in, the, in this terrible act of Soviet propaganda that Mrs. Sarsour has uh, advocated uh, tragically for herself, but it's probably good for her book sales, um, is that... Um, she accused Israel of, uh, you know, training police in these anti-terror, anti-terror um, techniques, which which doesn't happen. The police doesn't, the police didn't go do that. There were there were meetings um, uh, on intelligence issues only between members of different police departments across the United States and the Israeli security agencies on the level of intelligence, because Israel is very good. Um, at intelligence uh, gathering, the only thing that Israel has not done well in terms of intelligence is to um, is to advance its own uh, side of the story, the facts and, and historical context when it is being assaulted. Um, the way Mrs. Sarsour is very good at assaulting uh, uh, Israel and as well as her fellow um, travelers. So racialization is the problem. We're no longer in a territorial conflict when we discuss Israel in the United States. And this poses a major challenge to Jewish organizations that are going to have to turn around to these, um, you know, to these rhetorical jihadists and say, hey, enough is enough. We're not going to put up with this. Dan, it's mind boggling how on one hand, anti-Zionist extremists deny the Holocaust. Yet on the other hand, there are those or even the same people, depending on the day of the week, will say that Zionists assisted Hitler. In fact, Mahmoud Abbas's central thesis of his book wrote about the secret relationship between Nazism and Israel. So in essence, he doesn't deny the Holocaust. He blames Zionism to facilitate Jewish emigration. Can you discuss that with us, please? Well, sure. I mean, that, that was, uh, let, first of all, let's remember that uh, Cambridge University did uh, some serious research. And as a matter of fact, two Israeli researchers, Gidon Remez and, and his colleagues, actually, you can find this out on Google, uh, uncovered the original documents proving that Mahmoud Abbas was a Soviet agent based in, in, um, in the early 1980s in Syria. 
Um, it has come to my attention uh, through a, uh, a very well-respected uh, Sovietologist who works at the uh, Wilson Center in Washington, D.C. It could very well be, according to this uh, analyst, that, that the KGB actually wrote um, the uh, doctoral thesis uh, in Russian for Mahmoud Abbas, and then he had it translated into Arabic. We know that Patrice Lumumba University in Moscow, which has in the last uh, number, in the last several years been closed out, but that was founded as a university for active measures for Soviet disinformation. We know that from a number of Soviet KGB defectors who come to the United States and have um, and have uh, uh, testified to that to that fact. So. Um, you know, Mahmoud Abbas and Arafat before him, they were training in Moscow, in Cuba, in Lebanon, uh, uh, and uh, North Vietnam, um, North Korea. There were, we had all these uh, intelligence and uh, Soviet disinformation training sessions for PLO leaders over the last uh, 50 years. So it should not come as a surprise that the type of disinformation that we're seeing that's being driven out of Ramallah and today as well out of Gaza uh, because they have adopted uh, through their Iranian sponsors the tape the same in Gaza the Hamas the same type of political warfare PLO um, has been prosecuting uh, for 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 decades and that is really where all of this comes from and and it is extraordinary how the West has eaten this um, you know has eaten this sort of uh, um, taken this hook line and sinker uh, and it, as the recent uh, polls of the Jewish Electoral Institute shows. Um, and, uh, and that just is a testimony to how serious uh, things have become. But this has basically been a Soviet technique um, since, the, uh, since the founding of the PLO in 1964. Uh, and, they, and the Soviets really turned against Israel uh, in the early 1970s, um, as you uh, remember after the doctor's plot. But, but, and this is strange because the Soviet Union had voted in favor of a Jewish state in the um, in uh, in November of 1947, uh, when the uh, UN Special Committee on Palestine uh, uh, recommended the creation of an Arab state and a Jewish state, and then the, when the vote came in 1948, the Soviet Union voted in favor of Israel, but then turned against us, and they saw that they had a uh, they had a really good puppet in the uh, in the in the PLO. Yeah. You know, Dan, we have a little bit of time left. So I want to ask you a question based on your um, paper about countering this. Now, I know about groups like yours. Uh, we are good friends with Itamar Marcus from Palestinian Media Watch. And for someone like me, I would think that your organization and his organization is all we need to counter the lies because you document everything to expose them. And yet we're losing the battle. Here in America, we've got a dozen different Jewish groups, but we're never on message. Whereas the jihadist movement, they're always on message. It's always free Palestine. It's always apartheid. As you mentioned earlier, Students for Justice in Palestine on every college campus. They are always united on one message. Whereas we Jews can never stick to one message. And we always have to look at things from a philosophical point, almost like we're learning Gemara. There's this side, there's that side. It's anti-Zionism, anti-Semitism, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, if you had to construct how we fight back and not bringing a squirt gun to a cannon fight, what would you recommend is how we Jews must come up with one message and how we proceed and how we fight back in Congress, where now the squad has become mainstreamed? Well, there are three elements to the overall strategy, Alan. One element uh, is, is that <clears throat> we have many other allies outside the Jewish community 
whose positions are very similar to the ones that we've stated on this program. Um, the Black American community, um, uh, Pastor Dumasani Washington, who is a scholar, who uh, is the president of the Institute for Black Solidarity with Israel, he's in touch with, uh, you know, thousands of pastors, uh, um, African American pastors across the United States, and he's committed to telling the truth and exposing the lies of the PLO, the Hamas, their fellow travelers in the United States uh, that are penetrating uh, the black community, black American community, and, and other um, uh, communities um, uh, throughout the country. What we need is our, uh, what we call our, um, our non-Jewish ambassadors and brothers and sisters, as in the black American community, the Hispanic community, the Asian community, and there are millions of Americans that need to be coalesced because they're, they're naturally, uh, intuitively, and even um, uh, you know, educationally with us. They understand the truth, but we haven't done a great job in mobilizing um, uh, non-Jews into this uh, fight to isolate um, the, uh, the rhetorical uh, assaulters, um, um, number one. Number two, okay, number two, Israel's got to play a much larger role because Israel is the anchor of the message. It's not enough for NGOs to be advancing the message. Israel has to advance the message. So, so you folks have to put pressure on the Israeli government to help you as, uh, as uh, uh, official. And, and number three, we have to out and reveal and expose all the time the lies. Go on the offense. There's no more defense. We're not talking about Hasbara. We're not talking about public diplomacy. This is, as Clausewitz says, war by other means. We have, this is this, politics, war by other means, and war is politics by other means. And we have to engage in a wholesale frontal assault against those that are trying to dismantle the Jewish people and their one and only mini Jewish nation state. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for joining us today on the Definitive Wrap. Thank you to our audience for tuning in and to VinNews.com for our show being their official podcast. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your hosts, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Rap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Rap.